turn to the book of Galatians chapter 5. For a number of weeks now, I've been in a series simply called One Another. In this series, we have discussed many different places within the New Testament where the exhortation, really the command, has been how we need to be for one another. The only place in the New Testament where the one another phrase appears and it's not a command, just giving a statement of fact, is the first one we looked at that we are members of one another. We're part of one another. Then we looked at being like-minded toward one another, and last week we talked about receiving or accepting one another. Today I want to turn to what would seem obvious. It would seem like an obvious thing that Christians need to do, but hopefully today we'll be able to see some new depth, some new understanding, in that we are commanded to serve one another. Galatians chapter 5, I'll begin reading in verse number 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, Beware lest you be consumed by one another. That word liberty is where I want to start. It's best translated simply freedom. One thing the Lord wants each and every believer to understand, each and every one of us, is that the Christian life is a life of freedom. Before you and I came to the Lord, we were in a life marred in bondage. But when we came to Jesus, we came to a life of freedom, freedom from the bondage of sin. We were slaves to sin, freedom from being bound to the opinions of others. I hear so many people say, well, I don't care what anybody else thinks. And then you look at them and they're really angry or or upset. And you ask them why? Well, because of what other people think. Well, if you were not bound to the way other people think, then what they say or think is not going to be this trigger or control mechanism for how we feel. In Jesus, I have been set free from the opinions of other people. In Jesus, I've been set free to make good choices. I've been set free to be kind to others, to be loving to others. It doesn't matter what you do to me. I can choose freely to be kind and loving to you. That's something that's difficult to do when you're a slave to sin. We've been freed from the weight of our selfish desires and our selfish impulses. In Jesus, we are free. Now, the world doesn't see us as free. They see our lives and our choices, and they see nothing but rules and restrictions. You mean you don't drink until you don't remember anything or... All you remember is that your dad banged on pans the next day? You'd have to look at last week's message to understand that reference. You mean you don't mess around with someone you just met? How is that freedom? You don't take drugs? You mean when someone upsets you, you don't just tell them off and 
give them a piece of your mind just to make yourself feel better? You mean when you hear some juicy news about someone, you don't run and tell somebody else? Isn't gossip a wonderful thing to do? It's freedom. They see restrictions. They see freedom as a lifestyle where anything goes. They call that freedom. I call that chaos. The best analogy I have for that is imagine for a moment we're a week away from the biggest day in the life of the NFL, the Super Bowl. And imagine a football player catches a ball that's thrown to him and is running toward the end zone to score a touchdown, but is about to be tackled. So to avoid being tackled, he runs out of bounds, runs into the stands, runs around the interior of the stadium, comes out in a different entrance, and stands in the end zone and expects the referee to signal touchdown. That makes absolutely no sense. But people who want to live life without any type of boundaries, that's what they're asking for. They're not asking for a game. That would not be football. That would be chaos. We as Christians, above all others, need to understand that boundaries are not bondage. Boundaries are there so that we can fulfill and become all that we're intended to be in God. God gives us the power to walk in the liberty that can only be known in Jesus. And yet, this passage and my message is not about the freedom we have in Christ. It's about serving one another. I just find it very interesting that God, after letting people know that we can walk in freedom, he has, in the freedom he's given us, he reminds us to not go too far. You would think people had this tendency of taking things too far. To not allow our freedom in Jesus to be a source of inspiration for our flesh. To not allow fulfilling selfish, worldly desires as a cover-up for our sinful nature. And then call it later, well, I'm just walking in Jesus. That's not godly freedom. That's lame excuses. And the antidote that the Apostle Paul gives to the churches in Galatia to not going too far, to not being in a place where we use our liberty as something it was never meant to be used for, the antidote he gives is to serve one another and serve one another through love. And the reference he makes right in these verses in Galatians 5, takes us back to Mark chapter 12, where I'll be reading from verse 29. And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, that the Lord our God is, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You shall love your neighbor as 
yourself. But still, the passage focuses not only on serving one another as a way of avoiding being overly self-centered. The context is also avoiding the various. I know this may not happen in this church. This happens in other churches, but bear with me now. The various quarrels or arguments or things we get into as his body. Because what this leads to, he says at the end of those verses we read at the beginning, that we not bite and devour one another or consume one another. And the antidote to that is to serve one another. The antidote to not biting one another or not having issues with one another is not avoiding one another. It is not staying away from one another. It is not only finding people who can fit my scheme. The antidote to that is serving one another. A pastor in Kansas City, Kansas, was organizing opportunities for people in his church to do small acts of kindness as a demonstration of Christ's love in the community. He phoned several neighborhood grocery stores and laundromats for permission to do specific services. In one call, the employee who answered the phone hesitated and then said, I'll need to ask the manager, but first let me make sure I understand. You want to clean up the parking lot, retrieve shopping carts, hold umbrellas for customers, and you don't want anything in return. Yes, that's right, the pastor said. After a moment, the employee returned to the phone. I'm sorry, we can't let you do that because if we let you do that, we'd have to let everybody do that. What an awful thing that would be. Serve one another. Why not let everyone be kind and serve one another with no thought of getting anything in return? What a wonderful world that would be. In fact, it would be what the Lord's Prayer talks about, it would be heaven on earth. Couldn't we use a little more heaven on earth, church? How about a little more heaven on earth in our homes? A little more heaven on earth in our jobs? A little bit more of heaven on earth in our relationships? And the answer that Paul gives is to serve one another. You see, if we look at the entirety of the book of Galatians, what the apostle was attempting to address is that the Galatians had been caught up in legalism. They were of a mind that although they had the gospel and the grace that God had given them and being saved, that they had to add to the works of grace in order for someone to truly experience salvation or for salvation to take root. This letter is to the churches that Paul is trying to make a stand against that mindset. He doesn't want them to add anything to the grace that God provides. Yet Paul doesn't also want them to move from a place of legalism to a place of license. We are called to liberty so that we can serve one another through love. Don't serve yourself. Don't serve your fleshly desires. Don't indulge your sinful nature. Don't let freedom become an excuse for anything goes. And so how do we do this? A wonderful question. Let me answer it. First, we need to understand that serving one another is part of being in God's kingdom. Matthew chapter 20, verse number 25, 
I'll start reading there. But Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whosoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whosoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In a world like the one we live in, where the mindset is the way to greatness, the way to accomplish great things is to get as many people as you can to do what you want them to do and to serve you. Jesus says, no, greatness in his kingdom is not how many people serve you, but how many people you and I serve. Serving and in love and humility, which that leads to greatness. And the world that we live in just doesn't get this. You want to get something done? Get people to serve your cause. Jesus is clear. Serve others first. But they're just not getting it. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, that not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. mighty. God has chosen foolish things to shame the wise. They're not going to get this because they're looking at things from a perspective that God never intended to be part. God has chosen the weak things to shame the mighty. God's ways are not our ways. He looks at things very differently. When we look throughout the Old Testament, we see things that should have gone one way just based even on birth order, but God chose a different way. He chose Cain, not Abel. He chose uh, not Cain, but Abel. Not Ishmael, but Isaac. Not Esau, but Jacob. Not Aaron, but Moses. Not Eliab, but David. Not the old covenant, but the new covenant. Not the first Adam, but we follow the second Adam, and that's Jesus. Serving others is God's way of advancement, of moving forward, of being what we're called to be in the kingdom of God. So we need to understand that's just how the kingdom of God works. It's by serving others and doing it through love. The second way we can accomplish this is serving others in a way Jesus intended really is following in Jesus' footsteps. You know, it's not some profound statement that we're called to follow the model of Jesus. That's what being a Christian is about. We want to be like Jesus. We want to follow in his footsteps. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11 says, For to this you are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. In 1 John 2 verse 6, 
He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Essentially, any time we follow the example for G- of Jesus, we find ourselves on solid ground. Yet what's interesting to me, there is only one place in the entire Bible where Jesus actually said as he was doing something, follow my lead, follow my example. And it's at the Last Supper in John chapter 13. Now we need to understand, there was no more humbling No more demeaning, no more lower state in Roman or Greek society than that of a slave. Nothing was lower. And on top of that, of all the various chores and even within the servants and slaves, the hierarchy that was the servant structure within Rome and Greek society. The most lowest one would have been the one who would have been asked to wash feet. But servants in general had the lowest chores, the most difficult and demeaning jobs. They did things no one else wanted to do. And again, the lowest one would have been to washing the dirty, stinking feet of those who came in from travel. Foot washing was a clear example of the burden of being so unfortunate in Roman and Greek society to be a slave. Yet at the Last Supper, Jesus gets up in John chapter 13 and takes a towel and assumes the posture of a servant or a slave. And he washes each of the disciples' feet, each of them, even Judas's feet. And Peter gets up to complain Jesus, what are you doing? You can't be doing this. No. I should be washing your feet. And and the Lord makes it clear, if I don't do this, you have no part of me. And Jesus finishes washing their feet and then sits back at the table and says in John chapter 13, beginning of verse 12, so when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. You should do as I have done to you to you church has Jesus loved you then you should love one another has Jesus forgiven you then we should forgive one another this kind of service is not just nice acts or fancy tasks it's even in the ones no one else wants to do This is the example that Jesus gave us. And it's the example we need to follow. But the third point I want to make on this, it's not just about the physical actions that we do. There needs to be an attitude with this. Service to others is not just about actions, 
But how many know attitudes matter? Philippians chapter 2, verse, beginning in verse number 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death to the cross. We're not talking just about lowliness of actions, but lowliness of mind as well. Truly seeing others as worthy of honor and esteeming their interests at the very least as equal to my own. Because this form of humility, it shines through church. And the acts of service that we're willing to do for others. This also speaks of being sensitive to the needs of those around us. We say we want to do all we can and do what God wants us to do. Oftentimes I've been with people who had just come from, and I'm trying to think of how it's been put to me. Well, I just gave somebody a piece of my mind in the Holy Ghost. I don't have to have been at that encounter to know it did not go well. In the Holy Ghost. But here God is saying it's not just about what your interest is. How about the interest of others? Maybe they did not want to receive your prophetic word in the Holy Ghost. I think most of you get where I'm going with this. This ends with our greatest example, Jesus. He lowered himself. Even submitted himself to the idea of something that was so far beneath him, death. He did not think lowering himself to become like us was something low or dirty or humiliating. He did not come to us as master or king or ruler. He came to us as a servant. This is the attitude that should infiltrate all our acts of service. Not what will I get out of this? Not how will this advance my position? Not how will people look at me better? How can I serve the way Jesus did? So where do we start? Because this is a lot to take in. I understand that. Where do we start? First, I recommend doing acts of Kind acts of service, uh, these kinds of acts of service with a good attitude to those you actually like and care about. Do you have people in your life you actually like and care about? Please say amen. <laughs> if there's nobody in your life you actually like or care about, I need to put this away and pull out a very different message. But start there. Doing these acts of service 
expecting nothing in return, even the lowliest things for those you like and care about. Second, do these acts of service with a good attitude to those that we're indifferent towards. Now, I know all of us here truly love everybody, but for those out there who have those people in their lives that they don't hate them, but they also aren't thrilled about them, they're just kind of indifferent about them, that's the next group to expand and grow deeper in being able to do what Jesus did. Then comes the tough part. Perhaps then we graduate to doing these kinds of or acts of service with a good attitude to those we actually can't stand. Again, I'm sure none of you have people in your life that drive you nuts, that you can't stand. But God can use you to share this word with other people. So essentially, this starts at home. It starts with the body of Christ being this for one another, serving one another. Why? Paul makes it clear. This is our calling. It's our calling. So many people want to understand what God wants of them in this life. What is God calling me to do? That's a fair question and an answer worth pursuing. So we spend time getting alone with God. And we spend time in meditation and in prayer to be able to get the mind of God, to still our minds from the chaos that is the world we live in. And we want to get to a place where we can get so still, we can hear his voice. And understand what he wants from us. And we say, Lord, what am I called to do? And I have to wonder if there aren't times that the Lord says to me, but I told you. In fact, to make it clear, I wrote it down. We're called to serve one another. I want to know the will of God for my life. 1 Thessalonians makes that clear. In everything, give thanks. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. His will for his people is to be a thankful people, is to be a grateful people. But pastor, have you turned on the news lately? Sadly, yes, I have. And the world is not a place that is generating or giving reasons to be, thank, uh, to be thankful. But how many know, no matter what happens in the world, no matter what happens in politics, no matter what happens in any part of this planet, God is still on the throne. God is still God, and that's a reason for me to give thanks. I was on a call this week with guys from work and they were talking about the weather that they're expecting late tonight into tomorrow. And they were saying, yeah, there might be snow this weekend. And one guy said, yeah, yeah, it's wintertime. We could use some snow. And I said, wait a minute. 
weren't you the guy that after the last snowstorm where we got like only three inches, he said, I hope that's the end of it and we not get another snowflake on the ground? <laughs> yeah, what's your point? I, I made my point just by saying nothing. We not, we're not called to be that. We're not called to have our mindsets and our attitudes and our emotions controlled by the winds and the waves. We're not called to be subject to the governing principles that surround us. We're called to serve one another the way Jesus serves you and me. Hallelujah. It's our calling to serve one another. Stand with me, please.